You know what I think is the most random part of the entire pro tennis tour? Mm, could it be Barbara Krejcikova? You know, yes, but not what I was thinking. It's this random clay swing between Wimbledon and U.S. Open. What's it all about? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are a high school and college gal duo and two tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Welcome back to episode 102 of Hold On To Your Racket. Um, This is our first episode since Wimbledon because we've had this very weird two-week period of some random clay swing that seems unnecessary and seems random, as Josefina said in the intro. Um, But we're going to talk about it anyway. But before that, we also have some very interesting, actually a lot of hot headlines that have come up in the past few days, ranging from topical to heartwarming to hilarious. Um, so let's get right into it, because even though we're back in, on our least favorite surface, the tea has been pretty good. Yes, it has. And we're going to start off with, you know, some similar to us kind of like social media stuff because this was actually posted on YouTube. So Daria Kasatkina and Andre Rublev's bombshell YouTube interview that came out on uh, July 18th. So like, if you want to talk about expose, this had everything. So Daria Kasatkina and Andre Rublev, they laid it all out on this guy's, uh, a Russian blogger. So he has a YouTube channel, his name is Vita Kravchenko. And so they spoke about a lot, like a wide range of topics, but mostly about obviously tennis since that is their career. And Daria and Andre spoke about the possibility of altering their citizenship if bands of Russian players continue throughout different tournaments. So what Andre said about this is if we are banned from all tournaments and I want to continue a sports career, then yes, that change of citizenship would be one of the options. And Daria said similarly, the world championship was taken away from us. Things are up in the air about the Olympics. Passport change? We'll see. So this really shows that, like, this it's really not about nationality for them at this point. It's about preserving their sports careers. And these are two players that have been very um, outspoken about the Ukrainian war in support of Ukraine. So they're already kind of, like on the edge of can they even return home safely since they are public icons that have spoken clearly out against the Russian government. But um, yeah, it's a very tentative situation. And the fact that they were able to speak out about this on like a very public interview was very brave and commendable. Yeah, and I think Rublev also talked a little bit about how he tried to talk with Wimbledon about potentially some other ways they could let him play, some other solutions, but um, there was really ro- no room to, uh, no room for flexibility um, if he were to keep that citizenship. So these are actually two players, 
and I remember Rublev specifically who did speak out against the war pretty early on so this already this interview is a really big deal because you have two pretty high profile athletes um, coming out with this stuff and for him to kind of go into that discussion about changing citizenship um, as a super successful athlete in Russia like that's a big deal yeah for sure yeah Daria even added to it how like basically because of the pro tours like WTA, ATP, um, ITF, the Russian Federation, like tennis federation is basically like done at this point. It pretty much is like pretty disbanded since everybody's playing neutrally. But um, yeah, it's taken a lot from them. And I think it makes sense that since, since they don't even like have that strong urge that they're painted, you know what I mean? Like Wimbledon kind of, for banning Russian players, they kind of painted this picture that if you are playing for Russia, you highly support their political beliefs and, like, motives. But if that's not the case, then they're not really risking anything by changing their citizenship. You know what I mean? Like, they were already speaking out against it, so they probably lost a lot of funding from the Federation anyways. And I think, like, changing citizenship is exactly kind of the punch to the stomach towards the Russian government. Like, you have two very successful athletes who, and we've talked a lot about how their government really does um, see sport as another sort of sphere of influence. Um, And to see people kind of uh, deject that citizenship and switch it um, is a pretty big political move um, against what they're trying to maintain during this time. And I think, you know, obviously the Vrybakina, um, situation is totally different because that was from 2018 yeah, and she switched, but you could totally see someone like Kazakina or Rublev, um, you know, changing citizenship still with that Russian, you know, having grown up in Russia, having benefited from Russian training, again, different from the Rybakina situation where she did end up getting a lot of support from the Kazakh Tennis Federation, but point being that, um, you know, we could see a lot of these uh, Russian... Um, born and raised players switching switching citizenship if these sorts of bans continue to stay in place, which I don't really see changing. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like this soon. isn't. It's not really like a vaccine mandate where you we can see that changing now, but this some seems like something that um, will stay. Yeah, and so this is actually like this is not even all that took place during this. Um, kind of it was kind of an interview slash like day in the life. Morris and uh, the host of the YouTube channel kind of just spoke with them as the day went on. Pretty cool, actually, that yeah. they did that. And someone even no- like made this comment on Twitter about how it really is saying something that the one platform that these two could even speak out about these issues, um, honestly, on was, you know, YouTube, like, with a vlogger, like... Um, you know, it, otherwise, it this was already kind of put them, like, wasn't, I guess, safe, because a yeah. lot of what they were saying was really um, inflammatory in Russia, but, you know, you could never see this sort of interview taking place with, an, like, in the like official Russian, media. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, agreed. And I watched the first 10 minutes of the video, and it's it's actually good. Like, the the main guy, he's pretty funny, so... If you do want to watch it, I re- recommend. Um, and then, so yeah, like as I was saying, that's not even like the, well, it is 
it's two equally big things that are happening in this um, video. So the other thing is that uh, Daria Kasatkina, she came out as gay. So this is huge because in Russia, homosexuality is like essentially illegal. Like she spoke about how she would not feel comfortable holding her girlfriend's hand in public, things like that. But, um, and then like more adding to that, she spoke about how she finds it ridiculous that people even think being gay is a choice. And she said, there's nothing easier in the world than being straight. And if there is a choice, nobody would choose being gay. Why make your life harder, especially in Russia? So um, just like amazing that she felt comfortable doing this. And I just I just find it so insane that the, they decided to kind of like compile this all into one like massive YouTube video. But um, very brave on everyone's part, I guess. But um, yeah. especially her. We, we heard about her, like, coming out as bisexual a few months ago. Like, I remember that we talked about a little bit, but this was, like, now that she's actually dating someone and, like, she's coming out as um, gay kind of on this, again, this YouTube interview was, I guess, even more kind of confirmation or, like, a bigger deal. Um, I believe she's dating a fellow Russian athlete, right? Like, a, a figure skater, I believe, oh, is her yeah, girlfriend. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, which is honestly, huge also happy for happy for them but as you were saying like this is for her to you know come out with this and say um say this so boldly in the environment that she's in and the country that she's in like this is um a big deal and it certainly did have its repercussions and its impacts pretty quickly yeah um and then even like the host of the youtube video he even like as kind of a half joke he was like did they take away your house and she literally stuttered. <laughs> she literally stuttered. She was like, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. But, um, yeah, just overall. Props to her. Yeah. Props to both of them. And for this guy for, you know, doing this interview. Like, that's, a, I think, a huge, we got to give a hats off to him because this is the kind of work that's necessary, especially when you're in a state that, you know, has either, like, censorship or, like, you know, these things are um so inflammatory to talk about he's really bringing um uplifting again i mean yes they're pro athletes who are talking who already have this huge platform but they're talking about issues that do impact regular people um so he did a great job i think with this as well yeah and then just to give you guys like an idea of like how this would have gone if it were kind of either released on like russian media or just in general because it was kind of put out on a more I guess I don't know like informal platform you know what I mean like it didn't Mm -hmm. doesn't have ties to the yeah 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 politics directly so Sofia Tartakova she is one of Russia's most renowned sports tv presenters and she was fired indefinitely from her position as a presenter on match tv which is kind of like the sports network because she spoke out against the backlash that Rublev and Kasatkina have been facing on Russian media since the video was posted. So she was also acting as Rublev and Kasatkina's public relations officer, officer, and she said for a whole hour on the air of TV channel that I have been working with since its launch, they poured crap on my players, Daria Kasatkina and... Andrea Rublev. So she said that she spoke out against the fact that they literally spent like huge amounts of time just like 
crapping trashing on, them. trashing mm-hmm. them, crapping on what they were saying in their expose video, and just that she thought it was a waste of time and she ended up getting fired for speaking out against that. Mm-hmm. So just like very immediate consequences mm-hmm. when it comes to censorship. And that's something that's hard to understand, especially since we're like sitting here in the comfort of our homes, just like releasing a podcast pretty easily from here yeah. in the United States. Like it's kind of crazy to wrap mm-hmm. your head around the fact that people can't speak their minds everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this this um this whole story was really interesting to talk about, really um groundbreaking as well to see two um young Russian athletes speak out about both these topics and on this platform and in this um form of media. Um but also like the as I was saying before and as you just explained, the immediate impact it had within the media landscape um within Russia. Um, because both of these issues are to, you know, regarding Ukraine and regarding um, homosexuality, definitely touchy topics in that country. And um, it's definitely, I would say, like, for a regular everyday person in Russia, probably a lot more difficult to talk about that openly. But kind of Rublev and Kazakina took that kind of... Uh, step forward. Step forward, stepped up. Um and but even still it 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 must have been very difficult for them to do so because this is um you know there's a reason they're only able to talk about this and barely able to talk about this on youtube um and they still face incredible amounts of backlash especially in russia but um but from here we're big supporters of this so yeah big supporters and I think it'll be interesting to see um, what the two of them, as long uh, as well as their Russian compatriots, decide in terms of citizenship. Like, are they going to stay with that Russian citizenship? Because from what it sounded like with Rublev, like he seemed, or they both kind of seemed open to potentially changing it if it means um, being able to kind of come back on tour normally. Yeah, and I think especially since they did speak out about the possibility of changing it that they're gonna face a lot of backlash from the russian tennis federation like i don't even know if they'll accept them back yeah yeah um we have some news from another russian tennis player although she is retired maria sharapova welcomed a baby um a few weeks ago so sharapova who is 35 now welcomed her son theodore um along with her fiance alexander Gilks, who's 43, um, on July 1st, and she captioned the post, the most beautiful, challenging, and rewarding gift our little family could ask for. Um, It's kind of crazy to see um, that she's moving into this stage of her life. I personally grew up as a big Maria Sharapova fan and kind of saw, I mean, she won the U.S. Open the year I was born, I'm pretty sure. Like, it was like, she, you know, was kind of one of the main players during when I grew up watching tennis, and to see her now here is kind of, kind of funny, um, but apparently her fiancé is a college friend of Prince William. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on this, um... <laughs> this baby is basically this, yeah, royalty. Yeah, 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 that's what I was thinking. I was like, this baby has a <laughs> lot of opportunities to marry up in the world. And I will just say, this baby is getting some fantastic genes. Yeah. Fantastic Actually, I haven't genes. seen I haven't seen the husband. Or maybe I have, and I was just, 
like, not really paying attention. Because I was just like, oh, Maria Sharapova's was having a baby. Who's this guy? <laughs> um, all right. So there's the baby news. And we're also in you know, addition to more exciting news, Serena and Venus Williams are set to make their singles returns for the U.S. Open swing. We have Venus coming back at the City Open, which really exciting to see that they finally have a women's draw. Um, last year they had a, kind of like a women's exhibition, but not really an actual tournament. But now they have a women's draw. It's a 32 draw. The men's draw is 48, but whatever. We'll take what we can get. Oh, um, <laughs> Um, it's been a year since Venus has played singles, but we did see her back, obviously, playing mixed doubles at Wimbledon, um, for the first time in 2022, so, um, I don't, I mean, this is exciting that she's sort of deciding to come back now, and both sisters will be in attendance at the National Bank Open, formerly the Rogers Cup, um, which is the 1000 event in Toronto, and then Serena is also going to be playing the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati, right after so this is big news to see her really participating in this uh u.s open swing i almost said clay swing but i was like no no she would never ever (laughs) even want to give notice to this random clay swing going on yeah but um yeah that should be very fun to see and watch especially since like it's more than one tournament so (laughs) we can watch two matches Okay. Yikes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's just like I had a whole argument with someone that Serena was going to make it to like at least the second week at the French Open. And she lost in the first round. That was a little embarrassing on my part, but Wait, you mean Wimbledon? Oh yeah, I did mean Wimbledon. It's just this clay swing is throwing me off. It really is. You know, maybe I, I have hopes for her US Open swing. Yeah. 24, here we go. (laughs) I don't want to lose that hope. Okay, but if Emma can do it... (laughs) Yikes. All right. Anyways, before we fall into that rabbit hole, um, let's talk about Iga Sviatek. We haven't seen her on court in a bit, but she has been doing some pretty awesome stuff. Well, I guess she was on court here, but this wasn't really, like... Whatever. Um, this was her Iga Swiatek, um, Swiatek and Friends for Charity event organized by Iga to support Ukraine relief efforts. And we talked about this um, a couple episodes ago that she was organizing it. Um, but the event happened. It took place in Krakow, Poland. Um, and as you most likely and hopefully know, Poland has been a staunch ally of Ukraine throughout the Russia-Ukraine crisis and war. Um, so um, this was kind of a really... Um, really nice gesture of support and it actually really did make an impact because she ended up raising over 400,000 euros um, from this event that she organized. Um, If you remember from that episode where we talked about it, it was basically an exhibition event um, with some Polish and Ukrainian players, um, retired and uh, active. There was some mixed doubles and then kind of most notably, um, she played Agnieszka Radwanska in one set. But Iga kind of talked about how this idea about kind of creating this exhibition event came around the time between Doha and Indian Wells, and she initially reached out to Alina Svitolinas for a singles exhibition match, but Alina said she couldn't play because of her pregnancy, and we've seen her off the tour for a bit um, due to the mental toll that the crisis has taken on her. So then 
Iga reached out to someone very special, um, Aga Radwanska, who was one of my childhood favorites, um, to play, and they played a set, um, an exhibition set, but Radwanska ended up winning 6-4, but this event was much more, was about much more than just the tennis. Oh, yeah, and Radwanska, she completely agrees with this because she said when I got a call from Iga I could not reject her proposal events like this are probably the best way to help children from Ukraine who were left with nothing we can hope that this will help them return to a normal life I would have never expected to play singles with the world's best player and on top of that in my hometown of Krakow I did this only because of the superb initiative not for the sake of my career and she is um Retired, so I don't think it would be for the sake of her career, anyways. Yeah, I think it was in the context of people asking, like, "Oh, are you gonna come back? Are oh. you gonna come back on tour?" Okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, this awesome from Iga to see like this initiative because we see like tennis players take political stances. Of course, she was wearing the um the you cr- the, the ribbon yeah the ribbon on her hat. And, you know, usually that's, like, where it comes to a stop. Just kind of Mm -hmm. the media attention and kind of putting it out there that you support Ukraine. But she went above and beyond. And that I think that just really says a lot about who he is. Especially, like, she's number one in the world right now. People would probably be focusing on their training, trying to keep that top ranking. And instead, she is literally making the world a better place. So, Mm -hmm. like... Wow, amazing from her. Um, as we said, raised over 400,000 euros for UNICEF Polska, United24, and the Alina Sotolina Foundation, and she had 10,000 fans in attendance. Um, and Alina Sotolina was also there. She was officiating the match. And as we said, she kind of stepped away from tennis earlier this season due to the mental toll the Russian invasion took on her. And she also recently announced that she's pregnant. Um, but she has been using her time off the court to participate in a lot of advocacy efforts, um, obviously including this exhibition event. She's done a lot of communication with the uh, WTA, ATP, and the ITF, um, with other Ukrainian players. And she also recently participated in the Ukraine Recovery Conference in Switzerland. Um, and as far as kind of the Wimbledon news, she spoke about her support for the ban. Um, and for banning Russian tennis players. And she criticized, actually, the ATP and WTA Tours' response to the Wimbledon ban. Um, so it seems that there's still tension there between Ukrainian players and the Tours on how to best respond to the question of banning Russian players. And coming off the heels of what Andrei Rublev and Daria Kazakina said, um, you know, we'll see how this continues to evolve. Um, but as far as, you know, what she feels in this time off that she's taking, not just for her pregnancy, but also to kind of, I guess, heal and cope with everything and figure out how she can best contribute. She said, our Ukrainian people are dying back home. We lost our homes. We lost our training bases. Our families are all in danger. Sport has a great responsibility with a lot of media attention. It helps people to understand what is really going on. This is my mission right now. And I think that kind of sums up a lot of what we talk about here regarding these sorts of issues. So, I mean, to see Svetlina, you know, 
obviously very much mentally exhausted from the crisis going through a pregnancy right now not really in the right mindset to play but using her time to do this i think is really admirable um to see tennis players like Svitolina and Sviatek and Kazakina and Rublev really step up um outside of just the pro circuit and the court to speak out when it's necessary yeah yeah and using their platforms for literally the best that they possibly could but um speaking of that (laughs) wow nice transition (laughs) so let's talk about Novak Djokovic so there's this um I've seen this petition it scared me it's so funny (laughs) it scared me it was like kind of a jump scare (laughs) and like the big question surrounding it is like will Novak Djokovic be able to play the U.S. Open so he's on the entry list, but this really does not mean much. Like, from what we've seen from other, like, statements, he's not going to play the U.S. Open. And technically, the USTA, the American Tennis Counter Federation, does not have a vaccine mandate in place for the U.S. Open. But U.S. travel restrictions still require for- foreign visitors to be vaccinated. So the USTA said about this, the U.S. Open does not have a vaccination mandate in place for players, but it will respect the U.S. government's position regarding travel into the country for unvaccinated non-U.S. citizens. And you know who that is? That is Novak Djokovic. <laughs> <laughs> so some Djokovic fans, because of this whole ordeal, uh, more deja vu, by the way, um, not just the clay season swing thing, but um, they started a petition that has been circulating the internet on uh, change.org. Wow, what a charity. Wow, we're really caring for everybody here. But it has nearly 38,000 signatures with a goal of 50,000. I don't know who they're sending this to, but I really hope whoever gets this burns it or just deletes it. Yeah. It actually surpassed the thirty eight thousand mark. I just checked. Of course it did. So this afternoon it was it hadn't hit yet. It's gotten over there now. Um the creator of this petition wrote there is absolutely no reason at this stage of the pandemic to not allow Djokovic to play at the US Open twenty twenty two. US government and USTA must work together to allow him to play. They must, Josephina, they must. <laughs> must. If unvaccinated American players can play, Djokovic, as one of the legends of the game, must be allowed to play. In all caps, make it happen, USTA. For the record, we're not proud of those unvaccinated American players. We don't want them to play either. Oh, so true. Exactly. (laughs) But um, But I mean... At this stage of the pandemic, you know know who... Like, speaking of the United States and the (laughs) pandemic, you know who has COVID right now? <laughs> oh my god it's just like i like but seriously the level of dedication from djokovic to just like because he, he's like, letting this happen he could easily say like guys no you gotta respect the regulations you gotta respect oh, no, no, what no. they're doing I don't here even, i don't even care about him not reading the, the, the petition i just mean like he is sacrificing his career Oh, oh, yeah, I know, he's, I feel like I've barely seen him play tennis this year. I, yeah, and I'm not really complaining, but I'm also, like... Yeah, what, like, what are you gaining from this point? Like, just in terms of, like, a tennis perspective, we've seen Rafa, like, super resurgent the past couple of years, right, like, doing really, really well, 
could you imagine if Novak Djokovic got the vaccine? Would that would Nadal be at twenty two? I don't know. You know what I mean? He could like, stand vaccinated. This this could this could no, but I'm just saying that Djokovic's um, like his his whole thing his is stubborn. Like, his it's determining like the history of the sport. Yeah, his reluctance and absolute like resoluteness to not get resolution. Sorry, to not get this shot is actively changing tennis history. Yeah, it's like in forty years when like somebody's grandkid goes, "Why wasn't Novak the go? He seemed pretty good until like twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why. I'll tell you exactly why. He didn't get the jab. <laughs> So now let's move on to some tennis in this random clay swing again, except for this like little moment that was grass. But um, yeah, so we're going to start with the ATP and this is a uh, tennis talk. Yes. Um, so Newport 250 in Rhode Island of the United States of the America and Maxine Cressy. The fourth seed defeated Alexander Bublik. The third seed, two six six three seven six. So, Cressy's back. I remember he had that moment in like was it like the it was like two Texas tournaments or something like that. It was Some, Australia also. Australia was good. Yeah, cause uh, yeah 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 he did well there, and then he followed that up with, with some like Houston hardcourt tournament or something like that. But anyways. Um, good stuff from this guy, and then obviously Bublik for being in the final, but it's, uh, Cressy's first title, he defeated Jisner in the semifinals, and went from world number 41 to 33, so, and now Bublik is unfortunately 1 to 5 in finals, but, uh, he'll be back stronger, hopefully. Um, this tournament, or this city, has a funny name. If I'm pronouncing it correctly, the Basta 250 event. Um, we had an all Argentinian final where Francisco Serendolo defeated Sebastian Baez 7 6 6 2. So, another first time champion, and we couldn't be happier about him. He took out Rude, Karatsev, and Pablo Carreño Busta en route to the final. Um, as for Sebastian Baez, we've seen him steadily on the rise this year. This year in this tournament, he defeated Dominic Team and Andrei Rublev, and he started the year ranked 99 and is now all the way up at 32. So encroaching on that slam seed uh, number. Um, and as for Serendola, he continued his strong play into Hamburg, where he defeated Rublev and Karatsev, and reached the semifinals. So that's a good chunk of tennis for. Serendolo, um, hopefully we can see both brothers succeeding together soon because, um, I don't know, we're missing Juanma. Yeah, um, so then we have the Hamburg 500 final where Lorenzo Musetti defeated Carlos Alcaraz, the first seed, 6-4, Um, epic match, first ATP Tour final and title for Lorenzo, the uh, 20-year-old. And uh, he took out Emil Rusevori, uh, ADF, and Serendolo en route to the final. And he had 
five championship points in the second set, so it's very Musetti of him to lose <laughs> those and then win in the third. Because, um, yeah, Lorenzo has really shown some maturity after a bit of a flop era last year. But good for him. Um, yeah, and... Uh, wait, I was going to say something. Yeah, we haven't seen him since, I think it was the Rome 2020, right? Like, he kind of had that. I mean, his... that was his, like, big break. Yeah, it was, like, his Italian moment. And then I was like, um, where art thou, Musetti? Yeah, so, yeah. I think we have to mention that we've recently been kind of into, like, Italian romance or Italian rom-com movies. We've watched a few together, right? Uh, um, what was the first one? It was called, like, Out of, Out of My League. That was a very good one. All of these yes. are on Netflix, by the way, and we do highly recommend. Yes. The other one was Under the Riccioni Ricci- Sun. Yeah, Riccioni, Riccioni, I don't know. Uh, and then... We're halfway through Under the Amalfi Sun. Yes, because um, I've been falling asleep <laughs> halfway yes, through the movies. We, we have to find a time to finish that movie. But, you know, Lorenzo doing well. Lorenzo being Lorenzo. Our interest in Italian rom-coms and romance. We'll let you put together the pieces of what that means, right? I think we they will can figure this. it out. Yes, we will They'll, this to reality. Yes, they can figure it out. He's moving up to a career high of number 31, while Carlos Alcaraz, 19 years old, will make his top five debut. Top five. And here's going to be the youngest in the ATP top five since Rafael Nadal in 2005. Of course. He was already the youngest since Nadal to make the top 10, but this is just insane. And Carlos is now 5-1 in ATP finals. This is his sixth final and the only one he's lost so far. Insane. Honestly, was surprised that he lost this one, but I guess maybe Musetti was playing very well. I don't know, but um, anyways, we have um, Stad the two fifty, where Casper Ruud, the first seed, defeated Matera Berrettini, the second, four six seven six six two. So this is a very strong win for Ruud, and he was the defending champion at this tournament actually. And <laughs> Ruth said, everything about Switzerland reminds me a little bit about Norway. I guess, okay. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so he is currently the fourth in the ATP finals race, and this was his ninth title and third of this year. So he's been on fire. But Barry Tini was on a 12-match winning streak and had another strong performance here. He's doing a great job coming back from his injury. So let's see how he does on the hard courts this summer because the only, like, enemy he's had so far on the court is been COVID, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, he did find himself into a bit of a controversy, though, this week. This was such a stupid moment. I was like, I don't know. We'll explain it to you. So Mateo, if you don't know, is a big basketball fan, especially of LeBron James. So he reposted an Instagram post featuring LeBron and captioned it with two emojis. And the two emojis he picked to caption it were a gorilla emoji and a crown. And everyone was like, are you kidding me? Like, like, come on, Mateo. So the story post was was up for about six hours until, and everyone on Twitter was like, what, like, what the heck? Like, why, why would you post, um, the gorilla emoji? 
um, with Did LeBron he mean King Kong? Whatever he meant, like, how did he not know the obvious, like, history of racial connotations between, like, yeah. monkeys and black people? Like, yeah, that was know. what everyone was like. Are you kidding me? Like, did his PR team not like let him know? Like, hey man, you gotta take this. Down. Like six hours. That's a pretty long time. So he took it down and then he posted this apology on his story. Quote: I am very sorry if my previous post offended anyone. I was informed that it can easily be misinterpreted, so I have deleted it. LeBron is my biggest idol, incredible role model, and inspiration. Now. Obviously, Mateo was not <laughs> intending to be. Racist. He had a himbo like, moment. It was exa- It was a himbo moment. Exactly. He was obviously not intending to be racist. I think part of it maybe is that those connotations are not as well known outside of the U.S. That's prob- That could be part of it. But either way, like he most likely was most definitely not aware of the connotations of referring to black people as monkeys or using that sort of. Like, uh, if not, he wouldn't have using, deleted it. Like, he would yeah, have just like kept it up. Yeah, like, using it in that context. He just kind of wanted to post something about his idol. But that's precisely the issue. Just, like, white privilege, ignorance, not knowing. So, yeah. it was definitely a mistake. Um, his apology was basic, but he owned up to it. I don't think it's something we're, like, you know, like... Putting a red flag sh- on? I mean, it's, like... How do I... I'm not going to cancel him over this. Okay. I don't, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, like, yeah, like, I mean, I didn't expect much better. Like, he's, like, at the end of the day, he's, like, a, you know, well-off, privileged white guy. Ignorance is going to come with that. So, it is what it is. You know what I mean? We've seen plenty of this sort of stuff. But we thought it was, you know, just got to mention it because it was definitely a bit of a, like... Big Come on, thing. man moment. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing, Mateo? Mamma mia. Um, yeah. Anyways, shout out to uh, Dominic Tiem because he really is finding his way back to winning, like, back-to-back matches, being slightly more consistent. So he severely injured his wrist last year and started playing some challenger events this year. And after 10 consecutive ATP Tour level losses, he finally got a win at his home challenger event. Then he reached the Bustad quarterfinals, winning back-to-back matches for the first time since... I'm I'm not sure since. Since a long time. That's the point. A long time. Since a long time. And he defeated... Emil Rusevori and RBA. So if he ha- defeated Emil, you know for a fact he had to have been playing really well. So he also made the Xtad semifinals where he won three matches and then lost to Berrettini. Very commendable because losing to Berrettini is like just another day. Um, but still awesome to see him doing this. And Bostad was his first ATP tour level win since Rome t- of 2021. So that's 426 days more than a year, which is 365 days. Fun fact. I bet you didn't know that. Um, but, uh, yeah. So awesome to see some Dami back. And, oh, my God, he won the U.S. Open. I forgot. I we forgot. lost that match together on Zoom. I was, oh, my God. I was literally about to say. Um, you were rooting for the wrong guy in that one. Look, look. 
It was very <laughs> ignorant times. It was before. Yeah. We knew anything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Don't cancel me. <laughs> um, should we talk about WTA? I'll just say the Dominic team we doing well again is just awesome news. Like, I think it's exactly what we needed. I, you know what I want? I want a, we were actually going to do this at the end, like a little U.S. Open swing wish list. I think something I'd put on there is for Andy Murray and Dominic team to have success, for to have some good wins. Um, As in swing. Andy Murray winning the U.S. Open? Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay, that's all. Um... So for the WTA, we first had the Lausanne 250 event where Petra Martic defeated Olga Danilovic 6-4, 6-2. So good to see Martic back in shape. She was having a meh year in terms of results, made the second week of Wimbledon, um, but and then followed up with this title, um, which is her second title, defeating Belinda Benchic and Caroline Garcia on route. So that's pretty good. And as far as Olga, she's a player who's been steadily on the rise. Um, she was a qualifier. She's from Serbia. Um, I believe she was Novak Djokovic's, um, no, was she Djokovic's big doubles partner at the U.S. Open? I'm not sure if it was her or Stojanovic, so fact check me on if she was her doubles part, his doubles partner or not, because I don't actually remember, but she has trained with him before, um, and, um, is kind of up and coming, and fun fact, in 2018, so... How old must she have been there? She must have been quite young. Um, became the first player born in the 2000s to win a WTA title. So look at that for some WTA next-gen fun facts. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's at. And then in the uh, Hungary 250, Bernarda Pera defeated Alexandra Krunic 6-3, 6-3. And we'll talk more about Bernarda in a second because... Oh my goodness, that girl is on fire. But literally, she had not won a match since early May, and then she took this title after making it through qualifying. And I just wanted to mention, just to mention that uh, Barbara Krejcikova was in this draw and lost in the first round. But um, also, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to talk about, um, look, not to be stereotypical or anything, but I really, really loved the kit she had from Lacoste. Like, actually. Bernardo's oh, yeah. The kit. Lacoste kits are just, like, amazing. For the women. For the women. Yeah. I I, I really did love it. I would yeah. totally wear. Hashtag yeah. would wear that. Um. Anyways. Krunich had not dropped a set going into the final, so this was definitely a tough one for uh, Bernarda. But she came through, obviously. And she came through some more in literally the next day. She is on fire, as you said. She took another title in Hamburg, a 500 title, and she defeated our fave, Annette Contivate, who's also the number one seed, 6-2, 12 match wins in a row, two consecutive titles, did not drop a set the whole way, so that's really impressive. Let's talk about Contivate, though. She, you know, we've been eager to have her back in good form after recovering from COVID. She has a new coach now, Torben Belts, who worked with Angie Kerber for a very long time, helped her win some slams. Um, worked with Emma Raducanu for a very short period and is now with Contivate. Um, so obviously we haven't seen her doing well or even on the court at all um, much lately because of the post-COVID effects she's been having. But this is a great, um, you know, comeback for her. She is still ranked number two. We have 
had her as our fave from before then, though, so let that be known. But very promising um, play from her. She reminds me of another one of uh, a Hold On To Your Racket favorite, Berrettini, because she is so versatile on different surfaces. She really does bring out her um, some really good tennis on all three surfaces. Um, we remember her indoor dominance at the end yeah, of last year. Yeah, that was but crazy. I'm really excited to see her back on the hard courts. Um, and that will be fun. And she also shared some pretty, like, girl boss information on her Instagram story today. Yeah, so she did kind of those, like, Q&A, like, the questions on the Instagram stories. And she said, I'm bored while, or something like, I'm taking a break while studying, so just ask me some questions. And then one of the first questions was, uh, obvious question, but what are you studying? And she said that she is a psychology major at, I think she said University of Indiana East, um, but still awesome. And then she spoke about also, she was like, right now, I think she said something like, right now I'm studying or doing my nutrition class, which I really love. So just like showing off the fact that she loves getting an education. She's not just doing it for the diploma. You know what I mean? Like she's doing something that she enjoys while being number two in the world. Like, hello. Uh, yeah. Girl boss. That is her. Totally. Um, but I'm just happy to see her healthy because we were really missing her back in full form and to see her back and, you know, showing us photos of her plants again, doing the Instagram Q&As, doing well on court. Um, it's nice to see her here. She also shared that she's in a relationship, um, which we had suspected, but we never really had, like, I guess, outright confirmation of, right? Yeah, but it was, like, 98% sure. Yeah, 98% sure. He seems like a nice guy. He's a soccer player, so good for her, honestly. Yeah. Like, she's kind of killing the game. Yeah, in all aspects. Every aspect, yeah. Um, last tournament we had, which actually ended today, the Palermo 250, where Irina Camelia Begu defeated Lucia Bronzetti 6-2, 6-2. This was her fifth title, first after five years. Um, and as for Bronzetti, this was her first WTA final. She is from Italy, so it was kind of a nice, uh, nice little home tournament for her. Yeah. And then, so we wanted to talk about some upcoming tournaments, and we do have a lot of them, considering it gets quite busy around this time, kind of late July, and then the entirety of August, basically. So on the WTA side, we just have some more 250s coming up before we open up the U.S. Open Series with the City Open, and that includes Prague and Poland, and Poland Iga is going to be playing, and in Prague we have Annette headlining, so two exciting draws there. And then also, like we said before, first time women are playing at City, and that starts August 1st. And then also I believe the San Jose tournament, Mubadala, starts on August 1st as well, where Naomi Osaka took a wild card, so that should also be quite exciting. But that's that's in a week, so we have some waiting time before then. Um, as far as on the ATP side, we have another week of ATP 250s in Atlanta, which is hardcore, and we they just can't get enough of the clay. They really just want to stay there, so we have a clay court event in Austria and one in Croatia as well, but I really couldn't care less about those two. Yeah, it's not going to be very exciting 
But it's okay because we have the city open coming up, so that should be exactly. fun. Josephina, what's one thing, if you had to wish for something in this U.S. Open Swing, I think I can guess what it is, but if you had to wish for something, you could either do one ATP, one WTA, one good thing, one bad thing, just one thing, a few things, what would you really want to come out of this U.S. Open Swing? Uh, okay, so I'm thinking three things right now. The first one is for Sebastian Corda to win one of... Like, probably Cincinnati. Like, I'm thinking, like, a hardcore 1,000. And okay. I'm thinking Cincinnati is the best one. That, or honestly, I would be happy with the city open, too. But um, the other thing is for an official USTA statement saying we find this Novak petition to be <laughs> illegitimate. And we would appreciate if you guys would not, like, pay attention to it. Something like that. Like, something that of that ilk. And then the third one is for Serena Williams to win the U.S. Open. So. Oh, I like your third one. That's good. That's good. Um, if I had to pick, I would say I want Annette to make the second week of the U.S. Open. Um, I feel I like we haven't seen her do well We have not there. seen her go that deep in slams um, in a while. She kind of does, you know, needs to still find her footing there. So I want a second week at least. And by second week, I don't mean right of 16. I mean, like, quarterfinals minimum for Annette. I mean, she is the world number two. Um, so I want that for her. Um, I want Nick Curios to lose in his first match at the City Open. Um, and the U.S. Open. I like that. I like and that. And everywhere. I don't want him to win a match this entire swing. Um, and what else? Um, maybe, like, I mean, I said the Dominic team and Andy Murray thing. I stand by that. I would love for Venus to get a couple singles wins. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 I yeah, think that sure. would be nice. She's playing City, so... Yeah. That could be exciting. Yeah. It's definitely a bias, but I think I really enjoy the U.S. Open swing because it's kind of like, I think, a part of the year where kind of tennis gets re-energized again. I think we're kind of sitting through a lot of, like, prim and proper tennis in the grass swing that I kind of get, like, okay, like, where's the excitement? Like, let's get some of that buzz going again. Um and we've been in Europe for so long, so I'm like, I know I find. Like, in my head, it's crazy to visualize, like, Annette playing in New York. Like, that doesn't even make sense in my head because they've been in Europe so long. So I think this part, to me, this feels like a season, like, not really a reset, but kind of like it's a new phase. It's, like, refreshing. It's, like, uh, rejuvenating. So I'm excited but also a little bit nervous about what um, the next couple of months are going to bring. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of upcoming tennis and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the U.S. Open Swing actually kicks off. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.